It is always a privilege when we are joined by the Florida Attorney General, Dr. Joseph Latipo. He is a Harvard-trained physician. He's an internist. He has a PhD from the Graduate School uh, in Health Policy at Harvard. He has a book, Transcend Fear, a blueprint for mindful leadership in public health. You can follow the official uh, Surgeon General, Florida Surgeon General government account at uh, X, FL Surgeon Gen. FL Surgeon Gen, easy enough. So uh, he and I always have a lot to talk about. It is, a, again, a, a profound privilege when he joins us, and he will be here again. He's made some headlines recently for calling into question the wisdom of a continued distribution of the mRNA vaccines. We'll talk about that right after this. Our laws, as it pertain to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Valentine's Day is around the corner, so it is time to look your absolute best. Our friends at GenuCell are celebrating Valentine's Day with a special gift just for you. From now until Valentine's Day, get a limited-time gift of beauty box free with your order at GenuCell.com Drew. Each beauty box has two of GenuCell's top sellers for you to give a try. It's absolutely free. And right now, save over 60% off all of our favorite GenuCell products with one of our customized skincare packages. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. Plus, with its immediate effects, GenuCell promises results that will make you smile. It's guaranteed or 100% of your money back. To let yourself and a loved one with our limited edition bundles right now at GenuCell.com slash Drew. Use our special code Drew at checkout for extra savings off your order today. And remember, every order placed is automatically upgraded to free shipping. Don't wait. That is GenuCell.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. As a physician, I am deeply concerned about efforts to erode the doctor-patient relationship. And as medical freedom continues to come under assault, I'm on a mission to empower you to be able to take care of yourselves and your family the way you want to. I urge you to get this medical emergency kit from the Wellness Company. It contains essential prescription medication you should really always have on hand. Here's Dr. Peter McCullough, Chief Scientific Officer. It's a very broad and diverse medical kit. can handle everything from a urinary tract infection, a fungal infection, a bronchitis. People can, you know, via telemedicine, uh, get their questions answered and get on the right track. But it's basically an at-home formula. Yep. For the first time, people, instead yep. of being uh, uh, held captive by an urgent care or by a doctor's office or an ER, they can actually do this themselves at home. Save yourself the weight and the hassle and feel better faster. Go to drdrew.com slash TWC for 10% off. That is drdrew.com slash TWC for 10% off the medical emergency kit. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, 
curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China. And full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, as I said, Dr. Ladipo is a Harvard-trained physician, UCLA. Uh, he was, I think, a professor there. He's now at University of Florida. Let me double-check, make sure I'm getting the institutions correct. University of Florida College of Medicine, where he's a professor presently. Uh, he has a PhD from the Harvard Graduate School as well. And uh, worked, let's see what this says, Associate Professor of Internal Medicine and Health Policy Research at UCLA. So that's when he was over at UCLA. Uh, he's always a pleasure to talk to, and it's a privilege to um, share them the uh, screen with him. So let's bring in Dr. Joseph Ladipo. There you are. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? Hey, Dr. Drew. Doing great. Always a pleasure to speak with you. So since we last spoke, you uh, stirred the pot a little bit. Um, I thought that was interesting. How has it been since uh, that, uh, that effort on your behalf? Honestly, Dr. Drew, it feels great. I am always grateful when we do something that is truthful and frankly aligns with a lot of people's intuitive relationship with truth. And we get to speak for them. We get to speak in, a, in an area where they haven't felt heard. We did it when we made the announcement about the pediatric COVID-19 vaccine for healthy kids, which was a completely ridiculous, no data-based recommendation that the CDC and you know most of our colleagues were making at the time. Um, we've done it a number of times since then, and this was just another time where we made the right call, absolutely the right decision. So let, let's, I want to kind of dig into that. Did you see before uh, this, the mics heated up here, we sometimes play a little video clip of previous shows and uh, some of you may not have seen that, but did you see Dr. Joseph Fryman in the clip leading into this? Were you listening to that? Yeah. Do you know Joe? Do you know him? I, I know Dr. Yeah. Fryman and I love the Samsung. Okay. He's really, okay. I mean, I don't think about okay, I just that. Wanna, right. I just want to make sure you were talking to him because every time I speak to him, I th I just walk right going, oh my God, it, it, things are worse than I thought. And he's a very sober, circumspect, careful clinician and researcher, and his team is very similar. But he has grave, grave, grave concerns. So my first question, uh, since Freiman is top of my mind, why aren't we going back and doing the research we would normally do on these vaccines? I understand they were rushed to market. I don't object even that they were rushed to market. It was an unclear time, fog of war, probably really did some good in the long, but why not now go, okay, hold up everybody. Let's go take a, and by the way, we have other options. If you need a vaccine, we have Covaxin. We have other things, whole viral options that are out there. What, what is wrong with the CDC that they're not educating people about the options, A, and B, why aren't they advocating for the proper research to be done on the mRNA vaccines? Oh, that's actually a very easy question, Dr. Drew, to answer. And it, it comes down to, rep pardon me, <laughs> maybe it is, it's hard to answer. It comes hard down to, to say it. Easy to answer, but hard to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it comes down to reputation. It comes down to institutional confidence and all sorts of other BS 
that fits in the same category. That's all that comes down to saving face, all of that. We want you to keep believing in us. And we're afraid that if we tell you that we made some things, some decisions that were wrong, you will no longer believe in us. That is, I, I need to know your evidence for that because that's such an astonishing thing. The idea that they would allow people to even potentially be harmed out of concern for their own ass. Are there people you you're in government? Do you speak? Do you have evidence? Do you hear it behind closed doors? I, you don't have to give me the specifics necessarily, but yes, you you've spoken to people. You can confirm there is evidence of this BS, as you say. <laughs> well, this okay. <laughs> this is the the type of evidence you need is when you know some guys who are on spring break see a beautiful woman on the beach. And they look at her and they, they're looking at her because she's beautiful. You don't, you know, you didn't have to ask them to be, have a pretty good idea of what was going on in this particular so, case. So I will just say before you go on, just be, because, because our, our wives are listening, they're certainly my wife's listening, listening. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. So anyway, keep going. <laughs> So well, I don't go on spring break anymore. I'm too old for you don't go to the so beach. I'm not talking you don't go to the there. beach. Yeah, I, I, I've interviewed your wife before, by the way. She is lovely, but uh, on his, on her, on Joe's behalf, I'm here to uh, to confirm he doesn't go to the beach anymore. Yeah, we're talking about other people here, not not you and me. You're right, 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 right. It's just it's just basic human behavior. When the evidence yeah. piles up and you continue to see them doubling down tripling down. Yeah. Meanwhile, Americans are going the very opposite direction. There's been almost no uptake of this COVID-19 vaccine, yeah. the new one, kids. There clearly is a disconnect. And here's where the people are because they see what's clearly in front of them, which is that, for example, this doesn't benefit kids and it may harm them. And the, but they don't want to, they don't want to yield anything because they don't want to sully their reputation and sully the confidence in the vaccine program and things like that. Not only that, not only that, there is a very strange, I think this there's an epiphenomenon to what you're describing. This very strange phenomenon where I've noticed that clinical impression, clinical experience, which was always, I wouldn't say it was the gold standard, it was certainly a guiding. I mean, when we went to medical school, we listened to our attendings and the attendings would tell us about their experience. And hopefully, eventually, the research would confirm the experience. But there is some extraordinary, um, almost religious energy around RCTs, around randomized controlled trials, and a complete disavowal of clinical imp impressions or the public's experience, what the patients tell us they're experiencing. The people just push that aside. Thus saith the Lord is an RCT. And let's remind ourselves, RCTs have only been around for about 75 years. Before that, we invented antibiotics and they worked. And with clinical experience, we learned about their side effects and where to apply them. We didn't have RCTs until 75, 80 years ago. What's going on, do you think? I, you know, that's, it's a, it's a great point. And I think that, I mean, I think there, there are a number of points of disconnection here, Dr. Drew. Um, one of the major points is that there was so much, there was and remains so much investment. And I don't mean financial investment. I mean, reputational investment, belief investment, like existential investment in the, in their COVID-19 vaccines. And yeah. in the vaccine architecture in general, that there's just not, there's not enough 
interest. Like if you, you know, if you, if you only want to see good or bad in someone, it's hard to see the opposite, even when it's right there. So I, that is, that is a major part of it. But our peers, our profession normally is very um, circumspect and we have to go back over things a million times before we sort of arrive at a consensus. And all that is being suppressed even within our profession, is it not? Totally. I mean, I, I, and it's interesting. I mean, you know, I, we may have even talked about this a little bit before, Dr. Drew, but people should know that there's been this shift in doctors moving from private practices, you know, their own being their own boss to you know to the extent possible to being employees, to being employees of hospitals, to being employees yeah. of large clinic systems. And yeah. there's I mean that's that's not a subtle thing. It's a major thing. And one of the mm-hmm. things that comes with that, beyond the loss of autonomy, which is probably the biggest contributor to why so many doctors are unhappy with their profession now. But the other thing that comes with it is loss of voice, loss of being able to say what you believe is true. And there's an overwhelming urge to just not stick your head out, not take risk, not say things that are out of place. And that's, that has clearly been a pattern. And we've seen people unfortunately lose their heads when they've said things that were against CDC and the FDA were saying. Yeah, that was one of the big uh, shocks to me from COVID was how much our peers were employees uh, and just fell right in line with whether it was the insurance company or the hospital or the hospital group or the medical group, whatever it was. They just said, okay, and just didn't, did not represent the patient's the way we normally are normally think of them. The other thing is happening. I don't know if you saw the, I don't even think it's out in print yet, but I, I think yesterday or the day before I, I get these, these email uh, sort of uh, initial publications and, and JAMA this week, I was reading and I thought, oh my God, there's almost no medicine. It's all social engineering. In fact, to the point where they're saying physicians now have a responsibility to make sure there's wealth distribution to make sure that health outcomes are ma- maintained as a result. And, and I was thinking, oh my, I don't, what do I know about economics? What, where do, who am I to make a call like that? that, that that's social engineering. And you want physicians now to be social engineers? I, I don't know, but that's echoes of very bad chapters in history, it seems to me. Yeah, and climate warriors. We've seen like in the New England Journal of Medicine now. I don't know if you read the New England Journal of Medicine regularly. Every, every two weeks, number- regularly. <laughs> If you looked over time, the number it. of articles about doctors' role in fighting climate change and hospitals' role in fighting climate change has just been climbing yep. over the last few years, and it's 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 just it's it's just all this buy-in to whether it's this you know this diversity, equity, and uh, I, I don't even know what the I'm sure I think I'm, my brain's wiping it out, but but this. <laughs> buy into this belief system about how the world is supposed to look is it's seeped into every crevice of academia 
And it's, it's bad for academia. It's bad for freedom of thought. It's suffocating. And frankly, it's wrong. I mean, this, the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff is actually so much of it is immoral, right? UCLA, their medical school, I was reading an article the other week. They had a planned activity for medical students that separated people by color into different groups. And unfortunately, they were called on it by another by a physician organization and canceled it at the last minute. But it's it's so profoundly immoral. I mean, where do you? I mean, this is you know this is how how drunk they are in the Kool Aid and how underwater they are in it. I'm glad I'm glad you're laughing. But you know, my my, my take on it is uh, it shouldn't matter where you as a doctor fall in your enthusiasm for these ideas. Practicing medicine is hard. Staying up with the literature is hard. Moving the profession, the science forward is hard enough. Not that we should be also social engineers and economists. That's not our thing. Now, we can represent healthy fill-in-the-blank, but we shouldn't be advocating making decisions. I mean... Go ahead and, you know, like, like yourself, go into politics, whatever, you know, that's fine. But to, for it to take up space in my academic journals where I'm looking for novel treatments for new, you know, myeloma cases, I, and it, it's, I, I just know, I, it's just, I, you know, uh, RFK Jr. says the first thing he wants to do if he were to be elected was to call in the editors of the three majors and tell them they're going to be prosecuted under a RICO law for their clear, yeah, for their clear collusion on these issues and also how they're representing the usual back and forth about things like vaccine therapy and risk and whatnot, which in, in his words, is not being represented. It all goes one way. That's how you can tell it's being editorially cut out because science never goes just one way. It just doesn't. Yeah, no, you totally, totally not true. <laughs> So I'm singing to the choir. So, so the other thing is um, that I was thinking. I, I was thinking about my own relationship with the with the CDC, and you know, uh, when COVID broke out, I I could see the panic being fomented. And I, at the time, I thought it was the press. I thought they were up to it. I know how they do things. I know they're they're ruthless. If whatever they have to do to get viewers, if it, even if it means freaking you out. They'll do it. And, and so I thought, oh, it's the press. And I kept, I was chanting over and over again, don't listen to this. Don't listen to it. Stop it. And, and uh, I got too aggressive with it. I, I have to, you know, maintain humility always in relation to any information and try to, you know, I could be wrong, of course, always in all things. And, and, and I've sort of reminded of that. But the one thing I said that was, all, was edited from everything you'll see about me around that period of time was, this is nothing. Don't worry about it. Calm down. Just listen to the CDC and Dr. Fauci. They will get us through this. And I was thinking at the time, I'm remembering now, I was thinking, certainly these will be calmer heads. These will be the, the sources of cooler information to who understand that panic is never, never improves things. And instead, the reality is they did the opposite. Now we have emails where Fauci was, you know, advocating for using fear. And to me, that was such an ethical violation and ill-advised, obviously, but such a profound ethical transgression. I'm shocked we're not talking about that more as a profession. 
Oh yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right, Doctor Drew. I mean, the use of fear for any purpose, it's just it's a it's a it's a it's a frequency that is that's that is the opposite of um, of our alignment to our higher selves, you know, our connection to God. And it's, and I, I know it's, that's not quite a medical take on it, but it really is. It's anathema to, to who we are because as, as beings, we aren't, we aren't fearful. You know, we're fearless. We're not, um, you know, we're not anxious. We're, we're naturally, we're naturally peaceful and calm. Um, we're not, um, you know, frustrated. We can have, um, uh, you know, that's not a natural, those aren't natural states. We can be excited, we can be energized, but, you know, but those are, those are more natural states. Those are states that, again, they're more in alignment with our, our connection with our higher selves and God, not fear, you know, not anxiety, not jealousy, not hatred. None of that stuff is, is in alignment. And I, I talk about some of these things in, in my book, Transcend Fear. And it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's not good for human beings and it's also not good for public health. And the not good for public health part has been known for many decades, probably hundreds of years. And to be fair, I, I, I look for every opportunity I can to apologize for my own participation in some of the fear mongering we did during the HIV epidemic. Now, let's be fair, that was an illness with a 100% fatality rate. Now, 1%, 100%. It was bleak and terrible and we scared a whole generation of high school students, you know, told them, oh, they're going to, you know, they're going to get AIDS, you know, if you don't use a condom or if you remember if you have sex with one person, it's with everybody they've ever had sex with. Yeah, okay. Um, and it, in fact, what people are saying now is that Fauci and friends, Burks in particular, took a page, Jay, Jay Bhattacharya said this to me, he said that they were hearkening back to the HIV playbook, which was also frankly wrong. And I want to apologize for my participation in it, even though we congratulated ourselves for 200,000 dead as opposed to three or 4 million dead, which we were anticipating. Uh, and it's just wrong. It's just flat out wrong. And I, I want to apologize whenever I can for my role in that. That was wrong, misinformed. I was young. I was listening to Fauci and all. And, and we thought we were, we really thought we were doing something good, but it, it really uh, highlights the fact that social ills, social evil, when it is perpetrated, even, I mean, this isn't the worst of social evils, you know, even evoking fear you know, to, to try to improve a public health outcome. It's not the worst, but it's not good. And it's ethically inappropriate. And whenever there's a social evil, it's always in the name of doing good. I'm the good guy. I, I did it. I know what it felt like. And I was wrong. It's always in the name of doing good. And so I am deeply concerned right now about everybody who thinks they're so right and so good and so righteous and the incredible evil they could bring if we are not careful. Well, you know, Dr. Drew, actually, I really want to commend you. I mean, your sincerity is heartfelt and it's, it's, it's wonderful and, and beautiful, right? It shows your humility that you, you know, that it's more important to you to have integrity than to, care about how someone's going to react to something that you you did or or I mean I I didn't I wasn't really listening back then so I don't know exactly because there is a difference between just saying what you think is true and saying something yeah. that 
is that's in true. You're, 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 you're right. You're right. No, and, and I Dr. thank Trump, you. I had not thought about yeah. that. We did think it was true, and, and we thought we needed to. Uh, we we knew we were making people frightened, but we felt like because it was true, it was appropriate. That, you're right. Thank you for that. That that kind of uh, clarifies my experience. Mm. Yeah, you know it's it, it's it's interesting that you're you're saying that, Doctor Drew. It, it actually so because you know sometimes things are things are terrible, and HIV was terrible. I mean, so many people. Oh my God, died. And it's important that people have the right information, but it's also important, uh, you know, ironically, or in, in some ways it's ironic that at the same time, people have a right to make bad decisions. And it's, that doesn't condone people's bad decisions, but it does show respect for their sovereignty. And so if I give you accurate information and you still like that's where my role ends is to provide you with accurate information to support you in as much as I can in the pursuit of health. Where where you cross where a person can cross the line is when I start using that information and that delivery of information to to change your behavior, not to let you make yeah. your own decision about changing your behavior, right? But that's with right. the of changing your behavior. That's, yes, the, that's right. the key difference. That's obviously, I mean, Dr. Fauci was, you know, was was neck deep in that throughout the pandemic yeah. with, when yeah. on TV telling people things. I mean, that was obviously his his goal. And that's why a lot of people, you know, he's he's he has elicited a lot of hate for that reason, because people hate that. You know, they they people don't like being manipulated. And People really, really don't like being manipulated. They don't like it because it's an it's an assault on their autonomy. Yeah, you know, I I I'm shocked. I'm looking at. I am really shocked that people don't know their history. I'm looking at the. What, where is that? Uh, looks like it's YouTube, uh, restream. When I in 1984, when I was taking care of AIDS patients on a regular basis, and all the way through my residency, AIDS patients were a common thing that residents and medical students took care of. Like. Many, many, many hundreds of them. And there wasn't a day that went by that I wasn't telling a young male that he had six months to live and I was never wrong. Never. It was bleak. It was dark. I saw Burkitt's lymphomas literally tear people in half. I saw PCP that was untreatable at that time. We didn't know how to treat it. We had ways we didn't know yet. We found them finally. But even then, even with the protocols that developed, we expanded life expectancy from six to 12 months. It wasn't until we had the antivirals that came 10 years later, well, maybe eight years later, that turned the illness into a chronic condition, which it is now, thank God. But at the time when I was taking care of AIDS patients, hand over fist, I was telling them regularly they had six months to live, and I was not wrong. It was bleak. It was terrible. Oh my God, it was terrible. You can't imagine. No yeah. one's around to talk about it either because they, they, you know, no one's around. They all died. They all died. Go, go watch the documentaries on Studio 54 and things that were going on in New York at the time. You will see the, the generation of wonderful, uh, um, talented young people we lost, artists and performers. It just was just bleak. And uh, oh. thankfully it ended. Thankfully, it yeah. ended. Okay, well, listen, I, here's what I want to do. I, I want to take a little break, uh, and then I want to come back and talk vaccine. I want to get deeper into the vaccine conversation and 
what you think we should do there and what your concerns are about it. And th there's a lot there. <laughs> and uh, and, my, and I, I'll have you think about this maybe during the break. The place I want to start is, let's say there's no risk to the vaccine or no nominal risk to the vaccine. Why push so hard on a vaccine for an illness that is so benign? It's sort of just super hard for me to understand that, particularly for young people. But we'll get back to that. When we return, Dr. Joseph Latipo, be with you after this. Well, most of my career, I've been urging people to kick habits, change habits. Well, this time, I'd like to suggest getting into the habit of adding Paleo Valley grass-fed bone broth protein to your daily nutrition regimen. Here's CEO Autumn Smith. It's made from cows with 100% grass-fed and finished, and bones. They're bones rather than the hide most Bone broth or collagen powders are made from hides or hooves, but ours is actually made from the bone because it'll contain additional nutrients. Bone broth is a way to bring back those nutrients, those minerals, and there's glucosaminoglycans, and then there's collagen, which helps us prevent wrinkles and joint pain and actually heals our gut. There's, there's gelatin, and there's just all of these ingredients that the modern diet has kind of left by the wayside. Susan and I have been mixing the chocolate flavored bone broth literally into our coffee every morning for months. And we've noticed a difference in our energy, appearance of our hair, skin, nails. Susan's particularly very happy with this. The bioavailable protein also helps us feel satiated. That's the part I'm happy with. Paleo Valley bone broth also comes in vanilla and pure unflavored and can easily be added to your coffee, smoothies, yogurt. Go to drdrew.com slash paleo, P-A-L-E-O, for 15% off your first order. Again, that is drdrew.com slash paleo. Are you one of the millions of American women and men dealing with premature hair thinning and hair loss? Or maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it runs in your family? Start 2024 with a real solution that delivers results without the harsh side effects or unwanted chemicals and no need for prescription. Provia uses a safe natural ingredient, Procapil, to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and hair loss. By supporting healthy scalp circulation, the the delivery of nourishing nutrients and healthy hair follicle anchoring to your scalp, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb. Right now, new customers save over 50% plus free shipping. Every introductory package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use, plus the Provia Super Concentrate for faster, more noticeable results. Don't wait. Order now to save an extra 10% and get free shipping at proviahair.com forward slash Drew. That's P-R-O-V-I-A-H-A-I-R, proviahair.com slash D-R-E-W. We all know the value of a good night's sleep. We feel better, look better, have more energy to spare, but you could be missing out on all of those benefits if you're sleeping on sheets that are too hot or too cold or just plain uncomfortable. I have the solution. Cozy Earth Bedding. Cozy Earth is the softest and most comfortable sheets, blankets, loungewear, and more. They use premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo, and we sleep in them regularly. I wear their t-shirts. Susan wears their pajamas. Cozy Earth Bedding comes with a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on them, wash them, try them out. If you're not in love, just return them within 100 days for a full refund. Susan and I love them. In fact, we have Cozy Earth sheets on our bed right now, and they made a huge difference in our sleep. If you've never tried Cozy Earth, we have some awesome news. You can save up to 35% off Cozy Earth right now. But hurry, this offer will not last. Go to CozyEarth.com, enter my promo code DREW at checkout for up to 35% off on your first order. That is CozyEarth.com, promo code DREW, C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H, CozyEarth.com, code D-R-E-W.
We are back with the Florida Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Latipo. Uh, his book, let's throw it up there, a full screen if you don't mind, uh, Caleb. Uh, it is, there you are. Uh, and let's get the book. It is Transcend Fear, a Blueprint for Medical Leadership uh, in Public, Mindful Leadership in Public Health. And of course, you can see the official uh, X, uh, the Twitter page, which is FL Surgeon Gen. Is that right, Joe? FL yeah, Surgeon right. Gen, is that your X? Yeah, FL Surgeon. Okay, right. <laughs> so so let's get to the um, let's get to the vaccine. I, I, I before I I posed the question that I was sort of alluding to before the break, I want to go back around on the issue of the 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 proper research with the proper endpoints that were clearly were never done. Is it an adequate argument to say that we've had so many billions of doses now issued? that that is sufficient to at least give people a certain amount of comfort with the safety of the vaccine, that is this, was this the, I suppose the question would be, would this be the argument against going back and doing the randomized controlled double-blinded crossover studies that we normally see with vaccines? Yeah, that, that that is called propaganda, and it's been leveraged by the CDC and the FDA every moment and every opportunity that they have. An analogy would be if I were to get in a tank, and you know, and I were to drive straight for a mile to get to work, and then do the same thing backwards to get back home, and not look, you know, not look at all during the whole trip because I'm in a tank and I just know that it's straight this way and straight back and do that, you know, every day. And, you know, I didn't see anything. Everything was fine. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean everything's fine. I wish I could come up with a more artful analogy, but, but if you're not looking for it, you know, if you've built an environment where everyone needs to get in line or they may lose their job or people may call them bad names in the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever your local newspaper is, then you can't say you've really done a fair assessment. And that's why this whole billions of people thing is bogus. You know, there are people who believe that millions and millions of people have been injured by these vaccines, these mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. I'm certain that they're correct. Um, and there's data to support that. So this, that's just propaganda. That's like, that's just more the usual shut you down stuff. Yeah. And, and of course, as always, it's a risk reward that we're trying to figure out. I, I, I've, I would say clinically, I've seen more, let me think about this. Yeah. I've seen more devastating long symptoms, the debilitating long symptoms from the vaccine than from COVID. And yet there is data out there that suggests the opposite. So that's, I don't know, you know, it's not been my experience, but is it's weird to me that it feels like, it seems like we can't even, well, let's, let me ask a, a, a more, more specific question. Are we having excess deaths all over the world or not? Number one. Uh, and if so, why can't governments, why aren't they, alarm why aren't they looking into it as as an emergency that is confusing to me or do they know something they're not telling us no not yeah and i think that's that you actually you raise a great point dr drew i think it's important for people to understand that a vaccine or any medication can still do something good while causing harm in other areas so the the question 
at least early in the pandemic, wasn't isn't whether the vaccines were effective against COVID-19 or people getting seriously ill. That is a question now, and it is completely unclear whether they do anything positive. Right. But in the beginning, the data were very good that they helped people not get very sick from COVID-19. But there are people like Dr. Christine Stableman, and there are other researchers who's, who say that, you know, that's not the only question you should be asking because these va vaccines have these other effects on how a person's body works. And we know from prior studies, for example, from studies of the, the old whole cell diphtheria tetanus pertussis vaccine, for example, that vaccines can be effective against the disease they're directed against but still actually cause people to die at higher rates. So for that particular vaccine, there have been multiple publications now that provide very strong evidence that unfortunately, while the DTP was protective against diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, it also increased mortality, overall mortality in girls, uh, more so than boys. Hmm. So these that that's exactly the, the question is not just, well, is it does it work for the disease that it's targeted against that's absolutely the wrong question you must look at the global picture because our bodies are infinitely complex and the you know if something happens here something else is is changing somewhere else and we've got to make sure that that other thing that's changing isn't something that's changing for the worse that doesn't change the risk benefit calculation and you mentioned it with excess deaths that's there are many people who are concerned that there is a relationship between the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines and the persistent increase in excess death. It's not saying it's the entire thing, but it's saying that it's but there's there's concern that it's contributing to it. Right. Uh, it could easily be COVID itself or it could be the effects of lockdowns, but no one is looking into it with the kind of rigor and, and alarm that they should be. And I just, I just, I can't even, it just blows my mind that people aren't, I, the UK is tiptoeing in a little bit, but then none of the MPs show up for the, the hearings. I, it's, it, I, it's just either it's happening or it isn't. Sure looks like it is. And then why, why, and why aren't we, I mean, people are, more people are going to end up from the excess deaths following COVID than during the COVID pandemic by far. Now, maybe it's all due to COVID. I'm ready to accept that. Prove it. What's in there? What's in those excess deaths and why? That, that's fine. But wow, that it's being sort of, I think it's back to what you said in the beginning. It must be some reputational thing because they're, they're putting their head in the sand, hoping it goes away. But the entire world, every world government is doing it. I can't, I can't, I, am I missing? I wonder what's wrong with me. Something's got to be wrong with me that I'm missing something, that this is the case. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. <laughs> You're laughing at me, but it's hard for me to believe. It is crazy though, Dr. Drew. We are in this... You know, we're still in this this alternate dimension where, unfortunately, bad actors are trying to reshape reality, and and you're resisting it. And you're saying this doesn't make sense. I can't take on this reality, and I'm resisting it. And there are other <laughs> people resisting it. And you're right; it, it is wrong, right? It, I mean, it, it goes all the way back to the beginning. The alternate reality of of you don't you you can't open your business. 
the alternate reality of you can't gather with your friends to worship, the alternate reality of your kids can't go to school, even though like it's worse for them to be home than to than to than to be at school yeah. in whatever yeah. ways. It's this alternate reality of the excess. There's nothing to see here with excess deaths. Even the whole the data world did it. The whole matter. world, though. I get we're I get we're crazy in this country, but the whole world, we're all the entire world is crazy. Wow, oh. Drew. I mean, there's a there's a profound amount of coordination at the yeah. world level, right? At the leaders, and whether it's the yeah. World Forum, the WHO. I mean, these organizations that transcend multiple countries have leaders. They get together at these, you know, at these international conferences. So you bet it. You've seen those videos, which are, I mean, I wish everyone got to see them, where the news anchors, and there will be a hundred of them on the screen, or political leaders, and they'll say the exact same thing about COVID-19 oh, yeah. or about how and they're- And then the media too. Right, right, right. Yeah. They say the same thing. You know, that's- yeah. that. Look, that's looks like coordination. That's evident. <laughs> that's evident. I mean, when I ask for evidence, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for. But uh, <laughs> e, e, I, I want you to tell me what the vaccine situation is in Florida right now. Um, before you do, I, I want to say I, I have no objection to the RSV, excuse me, to the uh, mRNA platforms. I, I think they're fascinating. I've been looking forward to them for a long time. I used them in melanoma years ago. They've been around for a while. I still, I recommend the RSV vaccine. I've had no adverse events from that. But these things have to be properly manufactured and carefully, uh, you know, the, the manufacturing standards and the, and, the, and the regulation of it has to be extremely rigorous. I, I, I don't know if the RSV vaccine is different in terms of how they're managing it, but I have a lot more comfort with that one. It's also doing something, I think, uh, it seems to be. But, but what is the status in Florida? What, what's going on? What, what, as a result of your concerns, what, what is actually going on with the vaccine on the, on the, ground, on the ground in Florida? Sure, yeah. Well, I think it's been about four weeks where this issue of the, the DNA contamination in them led me to make an announcement that they should be halted in, in humans. And, you know, it's, it's, I've received sometimes feedback that, oh, well, the DNA, DNA contamination is in other vaccines. Why is it different in this vaccine? And so I'll just take a moment to, to make sure people understand why it's different in this vaccine. Please. It's different in this vaccine because these vaccines have these lipid nanoparticles. So there are these fat molecules, these, these fatty molecules. And the fatty molecules are essential for the mRNA vaccines to work because they carry the mRNA, which otherwise would be degraded when it's injected into people. It would be degraded very quickly, and it wouldn't be able to get into people's cells to do all the fancy stuff with getting people to make their own spike protein. But it's degraded otherwise. So the fat allows the RNA to enter the cells. But almost certainly that same fat allows DNA to enter the cells. So while the FDA has acknowledged risks with DNA contamination in the past, and there have been thresholds for that have been developed for that, for that reason, the risk is different here because you're now literally, you're opening the front door in every cell 
that's around it for the DNA to come in. So it's a completely different risk analysis. And that risk analysis, we asked the FDA specifically if they have addressed it, if they've tested for DNA integration, which is one of the risks that can happen if DNA is foreign DNA is entering cells. And the the bottom line is no, they had about 10,000 words and, and a lot of word salad and nonsense, but the bottom line is no. In Florida, you know, people, we fortunately not many people are taking it and and that's a wonderful thing because they're terrible terrible products but we don't provide them in our county health departments anymore so that's that's over and people can still provide them but it's something i'm talking to my team with because you know there is such a thing as informed consent and people deserve to have informed consent so again putting your head in the sand and pretending that everything's okay and there's no issue and there are no concerns is something that's not acceptable for any drug pharmaceutical site you know whether it's cvs walgreens whatever or any hospital or any clinic to be doing so that's something that we are we're thinking about how to address if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And, and what's the status with pediatric patients? Oh, it's in the county health departments. We absolutely positively do not give it. And, you know, the yeah. governor DeSantis, fortunately, I mean, he's, we, we've talked about this. That actually goes back for months. I mean, he was, you know, he was horrified as, as anyone should be with the eagerness to administer this new technology to a population that for which there was no good proof, none benefited, no good proof for it. And there still hasn't been, right, in the clinical trials. In fact, one of the things you found in the clinical trials of pediatric populations is that the ones who received the vaccine had a higher incidence of lower respiratory tract infections like bronchitis. So, you know, so it's, you know, so they actually had more of these other infections in, in the, in the, in the vaccine group, They're completely experimental. Unfortunately, it's a bad experiment. So that's how it is in pediatrics. And we've had very little uptake and honestly, thank, thank God. Well, you mean children not dropping dead all over the place, all over the state of Florida. They aren't just dying of COVID everywhere. It's, it's the way I remember, I remember, uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor was saying, there are hundreds of thousands of kids on ventilators. I'm like, oh, what have we done to people? There, there's, I, it's just, well, there, I, it's really, yeah, it, it's in, incredible to me. I, I wonder, you and I are internists, uh, which I don't know if people understand what that is, but we are not pediatricians. And I, I have you thought that that perhaps the risk tolerance amongst our pediatric colleagues is very different and maybe it, should, maybe it should be. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but their way of assessing risk seems very different than ours. I, I had a conversation with Peter Hotez, and he was fl flipping out about six cases, and, and they were in kids with other chronic medical conditions. And then he went on to tell me that he doesn't want COVID because there's brain shrinkage from COVID. And I thought, I walked away from that conversation, I went, 
Oh, he doesn't understand that people our age get a lot of things like that from all kinds of illnesses routinely. And we recover typically from it at a certain age and at a certain age we don't. That's just, that's adult old elderly care. That's how it works. But the pediatricians don't know this. And so they hear things like brain trickers, they, ah! and they flip out or they hear, or, or they can't tolerate any serious illness in children even with kids with serious underlying medical conditions or is it is have you ever and and think about the fact that most public health officials since vaccine uh sort of policy is a major feature of state level vac you know state level public health most of the state level public health officials are pediatricians or non-physicians do you think that that is creating some of the trouble with the risk risk analysis here that's a great point, Dr. Drew. I, I, I agree with you. I do think it's it is part of the issue. And I, I really, you know, I really admire pediatricians. They are definitely different from internists. Oh, and, and they're not. Yeah, yeah very. Yeah, no, I, and maybe totally. it's maybe, I don't know how to do that work. Yeah, it's very different. Exactly. And but, but also we're different than right? they are. And and they need to understand right. they're not used to making adult medicine decisions. And I, I'm seeing it go haywire because of that. Yeah, and I and I I mean I say that without any judgment of them, of course. No, they're just different, and it's totally true. I completely agree with you, and it's a great point. I mean, it's something I recognize, but you named it, so thank you for that. And yeah, though it, it is, you're you're totally right. The then and oftentimes, frankly, their approach culturally, in my observations, to conflict or differences in perception, and certainly to risk is different as you you know as you've said and you know whether that those differences extend to adult issues i i'm not sure whether they whether they do and i'll say something else about dr hotes who i don't know and you know i you know it doesn't i don't know him but i'm i, I remember the joe rogan episode where he's talking about how you know, he doesn't eat, he, he may not eat, he, he doesn't eat very well often, and he's not really exercising often. And, you know, there are a lot of people like that, and that's all good. But you can't tell me that you care about health and you care about your health and the health of other people when you're not living that. Like, I don't want that perverse version of health that only comes in a syringe, you know? Or in a, in a in a pill bottle. I, I don't want that person to help. Well, you know but I, mean? I mean, that's a that now you've you've just stepped into a big zone there, which I, I'm with you on. I am so with you that that our our reliance on pharmacology and our faith in pharma. I'll, I'll tell you, I was my dad was a family practitioner, and I've told other people have heard me tell the story, but I, I've not told you. So here goes. And he he was adamant about medications are dangerous they are serious and it's only when the the reward is clearly outweighs the risk i was not allowed to take an antibiotic until i was like 15 or 16 years old and i remember the day i took my first antibiotic, it was like ampicillin or something and he, he brought it in little bottles a little vial of pediatric ampicillin and his thing was like all right, here we go. You're going to take a you're going to take an antibiotic. Here, who knows? But your pediatrician wants you to do it, so here we go. And I thought, wow, he made such a huge deal out of something that we do ridiculously automatically these days. Not saying that he was he was excessive. I think, by the way, but 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 not saying that people shouldn't shouldn't take antibiotics. But the respect with which we reproach pharmacology should always be there. Understand that 
Tylenol can kill you. Anything's have it's always doing that risk reward analysis. And we need it because you know the the doctor patient relationship has been so adulterated, we need to educate patients to make those analyses properly on their own too. I think we can do that. That to me is like the future. It's just my humble public service announcement. No, oh, you're you're right. I mean, obviously they have a they have a role and they definitely help people. But yeah. it is important. It's not a free meal. You know, I mean, there's it's totally I personally not that long ago came across this very good study from Denmark, I think. It was a Scandinavian country that found that statins, which you know, I I I've encouraged people at increased cardiovascular risk who've had yeah. prior yeah. cardiac events to take. But they're, they're, they actually, there's reasonably good evidence that in women, they're associated with an increased risk of, of Lou Gehrig's disease, of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. You know, that's that. And, and why, you know, and, and I mean, mechanistically, people can think of why people sometimes have memory issues. There are other things, muscle cramps, other things. Yeah possibly yeah. because of mitochondrial dysfunction, but it, it, we're yeah. complex. I mean, we are the, we're the, we're, we're infinitely complex beings. I, I agree with that. Theologically, spiritually, no, I, emotionally, mentally, all of that. So it's just, yeah. you have to respect that. And, you know, sometimes the risk, you know, the benefit outweighs the risk, but we, it's, it's wise to take it easy and look for non-medication approaches to health when possible because the side effect profile is usually a lot better that, that's right so act, vigorous exercise the one thing that is shown to improve longevity peter atia hammered that on my head one day and everything else is sort of everything else and you and giving giving say a statin to somebody with established coronary disease is different than giving a stat to somebody who just had a stent or somebody who just had a bypass procedure or somebody who's at risk or who's somebody we don't know what their risk of cardiac disease is. Each of those is an entirely different subset of the application of a pharmacology in terms of understanding the risk benefit. I mean, it's, it is, I, I'm so glad you said it's infinitely complex. I've been saying that my whole career, that biology is infinitely complex. It's not physics. It's a probability, it's a big old probability equation. And it's, you know, we're just, we're trying to, it's like predicting the behavior of clouds. We, we only, and our, it's how, why we study cases for 10 years before we start doing stuff on our own. It's because it requires judgment and judgment is using a lot of intuition and a lot of sort of non- linear logical sorts of ways of approaching problem solving and, and making decisions for patients. And I, I'm just so glad you're, you're in that zone. It's, it's just so important, but, but let's go back to the vaccine. Uh, so, so you're concerned about the DNA contamination. Uh, you're concerned that the FDA is sort of blown off this. I, I'm generally concerned with the FDA blowing off doing the usual kinds of reviews that they do, but okay. They're, they're, they say they're doing some monitoring and, and whatnot. Uh, how do we understand, like, say, a college requiring a 19-year-old male, say, to get a vaccine to attend the institution? And I don't know if that's going on in Florida or not. But I, I, my, the one area that I have really grave concerns where it's, I, I just don't think it's an assailable issue to that you shouldn't be concerned that a 19 year old male has is effectively a zero risk from COVID. I mean, it really, it's zero. I'm, I mean, it's just zero. 
And there's a finite risk, a finite risk of myocarditis that, by the way, the FDA, for some reason, elected not to notify the signal that they found on myocarditis, which is another sort of interesting mystery here. But I've certainly seen a lot of myocarditis in young males. I've seen zero serious COVID in the times of Omicron. Um, are people going to just start suing colleges if they end up with cardiomyopathies because they took uh, this vaccine for no good reason? Or are schools going to continue to require a, a therapeutic for no good indication? What, what, what do they think they're doing? Or is that something you're looking at as a, as a surgeon general? It's, it's the, really the area of biggest concern for me because everything else we can kind of argue about. But, but this one target for me, and, and I think you'd include pediatrics in that too, but it's so clear the, that there is risk in this population from the vaccine you can we can argue it's as small as we want to argue, but there is really no risk from the Omicron. What do we do with that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's it's a it's a great point, Doctor Drew. You know, I think that I, I mean there there are a couple of things that I think about it. One thing is that the colleges obviously shouldn't be doing that. I mean, it's frankly immoral. You know, there's no basis for it, and you're exposing people to harm without any any evidence, any proof of benefit. So it's immoral. I think the other thing, frankly, that's that's very important about it uh, is that I, I think it's 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 the kind of thing that really can injure and fracture the soul. And what I mean by that is imagine being in a position where you don't want to take something and but you feel like you don't have a choice. And you take that thing and then something bad happens to you and you don't have, now you're stuck with whatever bad thing happened to you from a health perspective. You also did something that was against your will and you felt pushed into it. That, you know, that leaves a mark. I mean, that leaves the kind of mark and injury, you know, injury to the soul and, and to the spirit that, 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 it, it has an effect, consciously or unconsciously. That's like that's an injurious thing to do to another human being. In terms of the of the suing, I mean, help me, Lord. If it's possible to sue in that situation, I sure hope people can. I, I wonder whether it's possible. It's just because I haven't heard any cases of people doing that, whereas people have definitely developed myocarditis in that age group. But I mean, if you if you if people can sue, if that's a remedy, it should be. And frankly, if it's not, then the law should be changed to allow people to sue, especially in such a, a blatant situation where uh, attribution of responsibility for harm can be so easily placed. Right. It's it's on the shoulders of the person who leveraged extreme, you know, extreme power to coerce you against your will and against the people in, in that situation. It may not even be against the pharmaceutical company. It really ought to be against the university or the hospital or the clinic or whatever the organization was that leveraged their power to force you against your own will. Yeah, generally I am, I've I brought this up lately. I, I'm so concerned about the, the patient-physician relationship and, and that what physicians do, we saw during COVID because they're employees, you brought that up earlier, they really behaved in ways I thought were just shocking to me. And, uh, you know, one of the standout moments, you mentioned Joe Rogan's podcast with Peter Hotez on it. 
I, I, the other standout uh, Joe Rogan moment for me was when he got pretty nasty COVID and he just, just described what his, he and his doctor did together to treat his COVID. He got monoclonal antibodies. He got, I think he took azithromycin or something. Uh, he got ivermectin and he got two infusions of NAD. And of all the things that were sort of an outlying intervention, the NAD was shocking. I was like, really? they're giving you NAD infusions? Wow. Nobody cared about that because they were in a hysteria over the I word. Uh, an inert medication that, by the way, every refugee coming to this country is required to take by the CDC for five days, every single one. That's in the CDC website. And I've used ivermectin for years and years and years. I've used hydroxychloroquine for years and years. Never, never did I worry about the, the toxicity of those medications. Because hydroxychloroquine, I don't know if you know, but you know the MKSAP, I do that every three years. And the, the MKSAP 2019 rheumatology review advocates keeping women on women with lupus on hydroxychloroquine. It's a, troop, it's a treatment for, for lupus. On hydroxychloroquine during pregnancy. Because it's so inert. Uh, yeah. I don't know any other medication that I've seen that recommendation for. Not, I don't let my pregnant women take Tylenol. But they, but they were quite clear that they, the lupus patients should stay on it. So the point is they went nutso over this one medication. It was like, for me, it's like, whatever. But NAD infusions. And I talked to Joe about it afterwards. And he said he thought they helped him. I thought, well, that's interesting. That's an interesting intervention. as an outlying intervention. So as he and his doctor wanted to do, it is outrageous and disgusting to me that anybody felt it was they were at their liberty to judge or manipulate or intervene on what Joe and his doctor did together that, that's the the that's the yeah. purpose of my story that this that this adulteration that people feel that they should have a say in what a doctor and a patient are doing together and be uh, that is just we, we, that is disgusting stuff it is disgusting is exactly right and the the judgment is just it, it's gross and I, you know and I'll, I'll be you know just to share with people you know, i've talked about my book a few times and before i worked with the the navy seal i worked with christopher maher and i talk about that in the book but before i worked with him i lived in judgment you know i was a being that was going around judging every person i was around now that that was one of the ways that I was broken. That was one of the things that 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 was, you know, that was um, that was out of sync with joy and peace and and light and God's light that I carried around with me. And fortunately, don't carry around with me anymore. Looking back at it, right? Judgment is this is this weed that grows out of the soil of of. People feeling insecure, uh, people feeling, you know, anguish, people feeling incomplete, uh, people feeling intimidated and and afraid of other people, um, people feeling fearful. Like that's that's the weed that comes out, that grows out of that soil. And it, it's disgusting to to take that. It's it's too bad to have it because it corrupts the person who's judging. It's actually you know it corrupts you when you're when you're when you're participating in that. But it's extra worse to take that and make it everyone else's business, right? It's like here's this crap that I'm that I'm holding on to that I have, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna just just spew it all over 
you. And so that, so it's, so that, that's the part that makes it, you know, that's the part that makes it really gross what they were doing to him. And uh, just from, because of where it was coming from, I mean, it was really, really, mm. really, really gross. I mean, just so, I mean, it's really gross. Yeah. It, it, don't worry. It didn't bother him. He's, he's, he's a big boy, but, but it made, it made me, it, I thought from the standpoint of our profession, it was just sort of like, wow, what, what are people, what are they going to do next? And what, what are they, I, I don't know. There's, there's lots of people, everybody study your history. Physicians have gotten involved in stuff, historically, not good stuff. Trust me, you can, you can find lots of evidence of us going south with uh, trends that were, again, back to social evils where we think we're doing good and we participate in untold harms. Um, one quick, I want to, I want to harken back to your judgmentalness, your judginess. Ahead, and actually, uh, actually, go ahead. Sorry, I want to just, just say something. I hear you about saying it didn't bother him, but it, it you know, it, it's, it's not bad for something to, I don't, it has to bother him. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he, he, you know, he tries to do the right thing. He certainly never goes out of his way to harm someone. If anything, it's just the opposite for him. So of course yeah. it bothers yeah. him. He's a feeling being, of course it bothers him. It doesn't mean it affects him in a way that affects how he right. shows up in the world, but of course it bothers him. I mean, it bothers you for the same reason. It bothers me for the yeah, same reason. You're right. Um, you're so, right. I, you know, I mean, just a, Fair you know, enough. It, it's good to feel. <laughs> Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. That, that I and I think important for people to re, be reminded that 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 when they are the way you used to be, for instance, it lands. It lands on people. It it, it affects how they how they feel in that moment, and maybe ruins their day or whatever it might be. It, it does land. But I, I want to go back to something you said about pediatricians and their approach to conflict. Were you talking about professional uh, uh, disagreements? Is that what you meant by their approach to conflict, or did I mishear you? Pediatricians. I mean that the culture, from my observation of pediatrics, yeah. tends to be yeah. not super into conflict. And look, let's contrast that with, say, cardiologists who yeah. seem way more comfortable with conflict, yeah. you know, with arguments, yeah. you know, clinical decisions and yeah. data and stuff like that. And whereas the culture of pediatrics, in my observation, tends to be more collaborative. And all that is said without judgment. It just is what it is. No, no, I, I listen. I, I thought that's what you meant. And I, I never really thought about that before. But in internal medicine and its subspecialties and in many surgical fields, um, conflict is, the parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for 
eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis versicolor mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com, P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, petclub247. How we do business. I mean, it's how we train our, our youngins. It's how we, it's sport. Uh, and, it, and it's just how we sharpen the edge of our knowledge base all the time and to make sure that we're getting to an approximation of the truth. And it's it's shocking to me that a lot of that has been suppressed during COVID. Just shocking. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it really, it, it, and I think also I'm hearing that, I, I haven't trained residents in many years now, and I'm hearing that it's, I mean, again, that was, I was pretty rough on medical students and residents back in the day. I was, I was a nice person, but when it came to handing them a prescription pad and making medical decisions, I, you know, we, it was, that's all, that's serious business. That, that is like, you know, I don't, that's not time for uh, uh, coziness. That, that is, I want, I want them to understand how serious it was. I'm hearing that sort of calming down a little bit too, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. Mm, and you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. People, yeah. you know, some, it, it sometimes, this current culture would rather be comfortable than to be, you know, aware, conscious. I, I should say, more yeah. comfortable rather than conscious of what the what the truth is. Mm-hmm. That's not a good place to be. <laughs> At least I don't want to be. There. Well, conscious of what the truth is, and you know, a lot of young people are reared on the notion that the truth is just, you know, it's all relative. It's it, truth is a human construct, and therefore it's whatever you construct it as, and your truth is your truth and mine is mine. And that is not how I was trained. It's not my understanding of science either. So I, I have grave concerns about, you're laughing, but I have grave concerns about post-structuralists and their impact on uh, on people's thinking right now. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. We're, we are in total agreement about that. All right, so what, what going forward, let's just sort of finish up with uh, sort of wrapping up on vaccine ther- therapies. What... what what are you, are you asking for anything from the FDA? Do you need more research to to sort of re you know br- bring back any sort of vaccine therapeutics for COVID? Are, are are we just done with it? What what do you imagine going forward? What are you sort of thinking about in terms of this? Are you, I'm sure you're constantly reevaluating things. Yeah, I think that you we need totally absolutely to do responsible research. One piece area of responsible research is to confirm or check to determine, right? By check, I mean PCR sequencing of genomes of people who have received mRNA COVID-19 vaccines to confirm that there's, there's, there's no integration of DNA from these vaccines into people's genomes. I mean, that's that absolutely positively should be done. We've said, we've said it explicitly it doesn't have to be the CDC or the FDA. I mean, it should have been the FDA requiring pharmaceutical companies to do it, but laboratories can do it. Academic centers can do it. You know, people, you know, you know, you think back to when we did in Florida, the analysis of cardiac death after 
after COVID-19 vaccines. That should have already been done. You know, we did it. Mm. People got very upset when we found that, you know, there was this, I think it was an 84% increased risk of cardiac death in 30 days afterward, a relative incidence of cardiac death in young men. And there was an increase in other populations too, but that was the population where it was, it was largest. But that's, that's, I mean, we did that here in the Department of Health, but academic institutions should have done it. I mean, that should have already been done. Myocarditis was already known, well known. It should have already been done. And so this is another thing where I, I hope and pray that other leaders, leaders at universities, you know, leaders of other public health departments, leaders of other states do the responsible thing and look at their data, you know, do these investigations, examine whether there's evidence of integration of DNA from these vaccines into people's genomes. Um, so that that absolutely should be done. And I, I'm, I hope and I pray that there's more courage and integrity out there. And we don't, as a state, have to carry you know, the lion's burden of, of just trying to you know, stick up for humanity. And um, so that's one major thing that totally absolutely should be done. We've, you know, we've said it and, and no one should be taking these mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, you know, the other ones don't have the same risk, not saying they're perfect at all. You know, these still don't have clinical trials that are current that apply to today's epidemiology, but at least they don't have this problem with potentially interfering with the human genome. That's, that's just like, you know, there's the line and, and there you are if you're, if you're potentially disrupting the human genome with your yeah. product. That's, you know. Yeah, no. So, so what what you were saying is you want to have categorical certainty that that isn't happening. There's there's argumentation that it isn't happening, but you want absolute categorical certainty. And by the way, I've talked to some good. Bio, this is way out of my field, but I've talked to some good biologists, some good scientists who are saying that they they want to study certain tumors that may be associated with the promoter gene and look at those tumors and see if they find the sequences in the tumors, which is kind of an interesting mm -hmm. approach, right? Uh, so that way they're not, they're not just, I mean, because again, it may be different how much DNA is delivered and what's in the batch and who gets what. And what you want to know is that there's not enough to cause a pathology and, the, the, you know, maybe studying at the end point, the pathology, and then looking back may be a more efficient way to sort of cull this together. Just a thought. Right. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that yeah. too. And, and, you know, and I, I think that, I think a thorough investigation is, you know, is completely appropriate and um you know honestly i mean my my gut sense is that it probably does have some degree of integration in individuals i mostly believe that because it it you know frankly it's partly an intuitive sense and it's just it fits with just about every unusual and unfortunate thing about these mrna covid-19 vaccines um so so that's 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 my sense. Well, um, I, all my career, it's been about uh, squeaky wheels and people standing up and questioning things and being willing to be wrong. That uh, we always admired anybody that did that. So I admire you by by my sort of history and my nature. Uh, and if you are right, God help us. Uh, you know, in, in your the, your concerns and. It, until we do the right testing, I, I don't know how we can have certainty. We, you know, we have a time. One of the things that Fryman said to me 
that I will always walk around, or at least for the intermediate term, walk around with. He said, you know, we live in a time of irrational certitude, irrational certitude. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, we, we as, well, he's right. He goes, we as physicians are, and scientists are trained to be rationally uncertain at all times. I'm always uncertain. I'm, I'm never, right, I'm never, right. I'm rarely clear. Right, right. So it's rational uncertainty. He goes, but right. there are people everywhere that have irrational certitude. They, they're certain they're right. right. And that is not rational, as you said, in the infinitely complex being we call the human. That's it's, it, totally. How about that, huh? Flipping it. Flipping the head on its tail, irrational certitude. He's aka propaganda, aka give me a break, <laughs> aka listen to the <laughs> <Dr>. group. <laughs> well, well, or listen to Dr. Latipo. And uh, I was in your great state uh, a couple of days ago and I didn't see anybody sick. I didn't see anybody dying. In fact, I saw an unusual amount of engagement and business activity and happiness and thriving. Uh, and certainly you don't see that in, in this part of California. But uh, <laughs> congratulations on, on everything. And uh, say hi to your wife for me. I interviewed her a couple months ago. She's a love, lovely woman and got a lot of really interesting things to say. And uh, everyone go get Dr. Latipo's book. Um, it is fascinating. And I suggest if you like the conversation today, you will like the book even more. There it is, Transcend Fear. Follow Dr. Latipo on X at FL Surgeon Gen. Surgeon Gen, FL Surgeon Gen. And uh, I'm still, I want to come out to the northern part of the state and shake your hand one of these days. That, that is in my, that is one of my plans. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Drew. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. You, you got it. It's uh, Joe Latipo. He was very kind with his time. Um, Caleb, I know there's people with hands up on the, um, on the twi Twitter spaces. I don't think they really want to talk to me. They probably want to talk to him. Um, so I, I was working. Are you there, Caleb? I was yeah, working here, yeah. on whether or not I should do that. And I, I just I just thought, you know, I I know how that's gonna go. And I don't know. I yeah. don't know that would get us anywhere. Um so uh I'm looking at the restreams and whatnot to see if there's anybody have anything there. Yes, people worried about the SV forty and promoter enhancer. Uh it maybe not, Michaelness, maybe not. That has to be proven is the issue. And then on the restream, uh, oh my goodness, it's moving so quickly. Dr. Latipo is fantastic. Uh, I had a chance, JK says. I don't know what the chance is, my friend. Um, again, we treat our guests as guests here. They come in, they graciously come here for an interview. I treat them as a guest. I listen to what they have to say. You should listen as well. You can agree or disagree. You can listen to many, many other opinions. Uh, and my my job is not to prove or disprove things that people say here. I know when uh, Naomi's on here, people get very upset oftentimes because she says stuff repeatedly that uh, is, I mean, it's tough to prove some of the stuff that she says, but I, I'm sitting, I'm listening to her and seeing what she, uh, uh, what she has to say. Uh, hang on a second. Uh, Emily Barsh is getting upset about something. Caleb, do you know what that is? Mm, Anybody? Not, not sure. Uh, hold on, say, I hear the baby's for you. I know you got to get going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you hear him <laughs> so in there. Hold on. These mics are really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, babies are loud. Uh, all right. So um, we will leave it at that. And by the way, if people have would like some other opinions, I, I'm happy to take other interesting opinions. We, you know, have had, like I said, I interviewed Peter Hotez. I've interviewed... Um, 
I'm blanking on the uh, woman that's advocating for vaccination. Dr. Uh, Vicki Mail. Pregnant woman, Vicki Mail. Uh, I'm happy to bring people in here and hear what they have to say and just sit you and listen carefully funk. to their stuff as well. We've had him here for sure. Uh, and I, I will happily listen to people's opinions and I'm still formulating my own, uh, as you should be too. It's, it's hard with the information available to know exactly what's going on. Dr. Fryman, I'd like to get him back. He, to me, is sort of the best analysis of the, some of the flawed data that we have. He, he really does a very good job of asking the right questions and looking at the endpoints that we should be looking at. It, it, these are hard things to do. All right, so uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, my dogs are getting uh, anxious here as well, as well as your kids. Larry Elder in here tomorrow. Roseanne next week. Del Bigtree at your, you guys want Del Bigtree? We're bringing them. That's another, uh, you know, sort of it's very extreme opinion. Uh, Nikki and Jim Norton are going to be in studio on February 8th. Uh, they are a delight. I think you're going to like that. Alex Berenson, when Kelly Victory joins us again on February 14th. Zuby's going to come around the 15th. A lot of interesting opinions. And as I said, contact at drdrew.com if you'd like to suggest some other folks that we want to bring on in here. And we do appreciate you being here. Do subscribe, if you don't mind, over at Rumble. It helps us a great deal. And uh, follow at Ask Dr. Drew. Uh, that is on X, correct? Is that X? Yes, X. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, they'll get updates on shows and whatnot there. So, all right. Thank you all for being here. And we will see you tomorrow. Well, let me. Uh, tomorrow we have, as I said, Larry Elder at 3 o'clock Pacific time. We'll see you there. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Yeah.